0: as servants of God, to do good in our world. Uh, So today, toward that end, we are going to talk about worship. We're going to talk about real worship. And we're going to do so by exploring together some verses from the first chapter of the book of Isaiah. So if you want to follow along, I'm going to be reading from chapter 1, verses 2 through 20. Um, if you don't have a Bible with you, you can borrow one. There are some on the table there at the back beside the sound booth. Um, and if you're, if you're new to the Bible, you don't know where it is. If you sort of open your Bible kind of in the middle, it'll probably land somewhere around Isaiah anyway. Uh, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, Isaiah, there you are. Um, so I'm going to read this passage. We're going to read it, uh... Here, So I'm going to invite you, if you're able, to stand for the reading of God's word. So I'm going to be reading Isaiah chapter 1. I'm going to start at verse 2 and read through verse 20. Hear, O heavens, listen, O earth, for the Lord has spoken. I reared children and brought them up. But they have rebelled against me. The ox knows his master, the, the donkey his owner's manger, but Israel does not know. My people do not understand. Ah, sinful nation, a people loaded with guilt, a brood of evildoers, children given to corruption. They have forsaken the Lord, they have spurned the Holy One of Israel and turned their backs on him. Why should you be beaten anymore? Why do you persist in rebellion? Your whole head is injured, your whole heart afflicted. From the sole of your foot to the top of your head, there is no soundness, only wounds and welts and open sores, not cleansed or bandaged or soothed with oil. Your country is desolate. Your cities burned with fire. Your fields are being stripped by foreigners right before you, laid waste as when overthrown by strangers. The daughter of Zion is left like a shelter in a vineyard, like a hut in a field of melons, like a city under siege. Unless the Lord Almighty had left us some survivors, we would have become like Sodom, we would have been like Gomorrah. Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Listen to the law of our God, you people of Gomorrah. The multitude of your sacrifices... What are they to me, says the Lord? I have more than enough of burnt offerings, of rams and the fat of fattened animals. I have no pleasure in the blood of bulls and lambs and goats. When you come to appear before me, who has asked this of you, this trampling of my courts? Stop bringing meaningless offerings. Your incense is detestable to me. New moons, sabbaths, and convocations. I cannot bear your evil assemblies. Your new new moon festivals and your appointed feasts, my soul hates. They have become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands in prayer, I will hide my eyes from you. Even if you offer many prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. Wash and make yourselves clean. Take your evil deeds out of my sight. Stop doing wrong. Learn to do right. Seek justice. Encourage the oppressed. Defend the cause of the fatherless. Plead the case of the widow. Come now. Let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be made, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they shall be like wool. If you are willing and obedient, you will eat the best from the land. But if you resist and rebel, you will be devoured by the sword, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Thus far, God's word. You can be seated. Resist and rebel and be devoured by the sword. Happy Mother's Day. Woo-hoo. Um, yeah. Okay. Back when I was about 12 years old, I had a friend uh, who will remain nameless, and this is not me speaking about myself in the third person. Um, <laughs> who who ran into some serious serious trouble around Mother's Day. He had decided that he wanted to buy his mother a watch. Loved his mom. Wanted to buy her a watch. Uh, um, his 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 mom's watch had broken recently, and she needed a new one. Um, but, you know, like most 12-year-olds, he had no money, and he wanted to get her a really nice one. Um, so he stole it. He stole it, and he gave it to his mom. And his mom, who knew he didn't have any money, um, naturally kind of was curious as to how he came upon this. And, you know... Inquiries were instituted, and, and the truth was found, and his mom was profoundly disappointed in him, not surprisingly. Um, in an effort to honor his mom, he had gone against the teaching of his mom, uh, thereby effectively defeating the whole purpose. His, his mom would have preferred to have nothing. Okay, so I'm going to hold no secrets from from you. I'm going to tell you right now what my conclusion is here. I am going to, uh, what what I believe this passage is essentially saying. Afterwards, we're going to circle back and, and hopefully pick up a few details and talk a bit about what it all means. But for now, the conclusion, okay? And here it is. All of our religious activity, all the stuff we do together in church, and even the act of going to church itself... While there may be nothing wrong with it in and of itself, it is, it is at best a completely useless exercise unless we are committed to spending our lives in pursuit of the kingdom of God once we've left this place. Um, so that's where we're going to wind up this morning, but, but first, in, in the words of St. Wilson Pickett, let's break it down. Um... So Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah, uh, who wrote this passage, um, I I mean, some scholars think he may have been from a royal family, but at any rate, he seemed to have fairly easy access to the leadership and to the nobility and the kings of Judah, even though they almost always didn't like what it was that he had to say. And the book of Isaiah carries with it these, these dual themes of punishment for sin, And then God's restoration. The holiness of God, and by contrast, the brokenness of his people. And then God's deep love for people, and his plan to restore them. And consequently, numerous invitations are given to broken people to receive God's wholeness and his love. And he was doing this in a season um, of not only local, but but of global unrest. Um, At the beginning of his ministry... You know the Assyrian Empire; they were sort of at the height of their power. But over the course of the of 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 his life, and his at least sixty years of ministry, he would see their power wane, and and the Babylonians begin to make themselves unpleasant. And and uh, toward the so so a big chunk of this book is actually written to people who are in exile under the authority of the Babylonians. And toward the end of the book, the writer is actually talking to the first of the returning exiles. But at the beginning of the book of Isaiah, where where we're looking today, the prophet is addressing the people of Jerusalem and Judah before they go into exile, warning them, he's warning them of their imminent conquer by the Babylonians. And so in verses 2 and 4, Hear, O heavens, listen, O earth, for the Lord has spoken. I reared children and brought them up, but they have rebelled against me. The ox knows his master. The donkey is owner's manger, but Israel does not know. My people do not understand. Ah, sinful nation, a people loaded with guilt. A brood of evildoers, children given to corruption, they have forsaken the Lord. They have spurned the Holy One of Israel and turned their backs on Him. The passage begins in the manner of an, of an ancient Near Eastern courtroom, with, with God Almighty, calling on heaven and earth to bear witness to his people's transgression. So although God is speaking in particular to the people of of Judah, he uses the term Israel, a term that's used throughout Scripture, um, to refer to his people, the chosen people of God. And what is the charge? In essence, they have forgotten whose they were. They have forgotten what what it was to be the people of God, and they have forgotten to whom it was that they belonged. And, and the basis for this charge is something that God will outline a little later, but God is saying that they have turned their backs on him. Over the years, over the, the generations, they have forgotten the principle that was to govern the day, their, their day-to-day lives. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. Deuteronomy 6, 4 and 5. Basically, what it comes down to is that they had had broken their covenant, their covenant relationship with God. And and it's not as though God hadn't warned them. If you read later on in the book of Deuteronomy, in chapter 28, God really kind of lays it out for them. Having given his people the law through Moses... Showing them how they ought to do life as his chosen people. God, you know, he lays it out. This is how life works best. And so here are the blessings, consequently, which you can confidently uh, anticipate if, if, you, if you live in this way. And then, of course, too, there's the flip side. Here are the bad things that you can expect if you neglect my laws. And and like so many of us, like me, at any rate. You know, they nodded their heads and they said, okay. Uh, and no doubt, with all sincerity at the time. And then over time, failed to keep up their end. But, but even before he's done, he's done um, telling the people what he did wrong, God goes on in verse 5. He says, why should you be beaten, be beaten anymore? Why do you persist in rebellion? Your, your whole head is injured. Your whole heart is afflicted. And he goes on to, to talk about the different ways in which the people are hurting. God hasn't even really finished out laying his, his charge when, I mean, are, are you seeing the deep compassion here? God, God stops, having barely started, he stops, and passionately appeals to the people of Judah to change their ways. He notes how beaten and how, how bow, bowed down they are, just as God said they would be if they neglected his covenant and he calls them to repentance. The people are are, are suffering, even as God had said they would. And and the last hammer stroke laid out in in Deuteronomy 28 was about to fall. They would be invaded by another country, scattered and exiled, just as God said would happen. Even so, though, at this point, God is inviting his people to turn back to him then he goes on in in verse 9, unless the Lord Almighty had left us some survivors, we would have been like Sodom. We would have been like Gomorrah. So hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Listen to the law of our God, you people of Gomorrah. This is actually a bit of a dig. God, through Isaiah, is comparing the people of Judah to the people of Sodom and Gomorrah. Now, these... These two cities, Sodom and Gomorrah, were legendary for their wickedness. And moreover, they were legendary as very real examples of God's wrath dealing decisively with sin and injustice. Uh, If you know know the story, a a guy named Lot, who was Abraham, sort of the patriarch of of the people of Israel, Lot is living in this very prosperous but very wicked city called Sodom. Uh, at the time that it's about to be destroyed, in, in spite of Abraham's interceding prayer. And, and Lot just barely makes it out of the city uh, by the skin of his teeth before God destroys it. And indeed, some of Lot's family didn't even make it. But, but here, these are the cities to which God is comparing Judah, both in terms of the grievousness of their sin and the precariousness of their position. Ezekiel uh, sixteen, forty nine, uh says, Now this is the sin of your sister Sodom. She and her daughters were arrogant, overfed, and unconcerned. They did not help the poor and needy. They were haughty and did detestable things before me. Therefore I did away with them as you have seen. Because the people of Judah had sinned in the same manner of the people as the people of Sodom, and God spans on this a little later, as we'll see, they were running the risk of suffering the same fate as the people of Sodom. And, and one can imagine the hearers of, of Isaiah, who would have been well familiar with, with Sodom and Gomorrah, at first being kind of you know, insulted that, that they, the, the chosen people of God, that their evil could be put in a class with the evil of Sodom and Gomorrah but but however I can, I can I can just as quickly imagine their indignation slowly giving way to the dawning realization of the implications of this comparison for their future in those in those in those violent and and politically uncertain times and so in verse verses uh, eleven through through fifteen um, God, through Isaiah, goes on. He says, The multitude of your sacrifices, what are they to me? Says the Lord. I have more than enough burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fattened animals. I have no pleasure in the blood of bulls and lambs and goats. When you come to appear before me, who has asked this of you? This trampling of my courts. Stop bringing meaningless offerings. Your incense is detestable to me. New moons, Sabbaths and convocations. I cannot bear Your evil assemblies, your new moon festivals, and your appointed feasts, my soul hates. They have become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. When you spread out your your hands in prayer, I will hide my eyes from you. Even if you offer many prayers, I will not listen. This This is some very severe language. And what exactly is it that he's trying to say here? He, he refers to his people's assembling together for worship as a trampling of his courts. He says he's sick of all their sacrifices. He's sick of the offerings. He's sick of the prayers and the singing. He's sick and tired of all of their, their religious gatherings in general. But is this reasonable? Like, is this a reasonable response from God? After all, was it not God himself who prescribed these offerings, who instituted these religious festivals? Has he suddenly and and rather arbitrarily just sort of changed his mind about how we're to worship him? Well, I, I mean, in short, no, he hasn't. The problem is that while the people were being faithful to God on the surface of things, they were being unfaithful in their hearts. While they were going through, through the motions of worshiping God, they weren't living their lives for him. See, see here's the thing. Even, even the, the English word worship that we use is, is derived from an ancient Anglo-Saxon word that roughly just means worth To worship, to worthship something or someone simply means to behave in such a way as to demonstrate the high, exalted place that that person, that thing, that object of our worship holds for us. And so at the heart of worship, even for us today, we find not just showing up for church on a Sunday morning, not just praying or singing with energy and passion and tears, not not just putting money in the offering as it goes by, Though it will almost in, invariably involve those things as well. At the heart of worship, though, at the heart of true worship, is the idea of ordering our lives, ordering our whole lives, in, in such a way as would indicate that Jesus ocupi- occupies the place of highest worth in our lives. As well as we can, to, to the best of our understanding, as the Spirit enables us, as God gives us grace. If we're failing to do that, if we're not doing that, then then all of our church attendance, all of our praying and singing and, and giving is at best useless, and at worst, downright hypocritical. M- moms in the house, Mother's Day is a good thing, yes? Uh, m- most moms I know dig the flowers and brunches and hand-drawn cards, and, and and I have a friend who actually celebrates Mother's Day every year by getting her husband to take her kids out for the whole day so that she can actually have the day for herself. Um, but, but moms tend to enjoy these things, how However, the day gets celebrated, and, and we do these things for them to demonstrate that we care for them. But how much really would the gifts, the the gestures mean if for the rest of the year we completely ignored the moms? If we never talked to them or appreciated them, or or worse still, were rude to them or mistreated them. The gifts, the gestures, would ring rather hollow, no? They, they, might, they might even feel like a bit of a slap in the face. The gesture, the 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 symbol, the, be it, be it flowers, a card, a um, a meal, a gift, it only has meaning insofar as it is actually representative of a deeper reality Of a love and respect that extends beyond Mother's Day and into our everyday. For some of us, we need to stop worrying so much about a card once a year and think a little bit more about picking up the phone once a week, you know, or picking up our socks every day. You know, moms of teenagers, can I get an amen? You know, I'm, I'm sorry, I, I, I say this rather glibly, but I, I mean, I do recognize that many of you have relationships with your mothers or kids that are more complicated than that, and I get it. My point, however, remains that unless backed up by a more regular reality, our gestures and our rituals are rather empty. With God, however, it needn't be more complicated than that at all attending church and praying and singing and listening to sermons are are all well and good but only if they are representative of a greater and deeper albeit you know, a little more prosaic and mundane a, a greater and deeper reality you know i I'm, I'm a musician and as much as i enjoy the musical part of our worship on sunday mornings it is only of value as a celebration of the fact that Jesus occupies the place of supreme worth in our lives, if it is representative of the fact that we are living out our daily lives in submission to God's authority and working toward the inbreaking of his kingdom. If we want all of the singing we do to actually mean something, then we need to be concerning ourselves throughout the week ...with God and the things he cares about. If I want my singing that I do to actually mean something... ...then I need to concern myself throughout the week... ...with the things that God cares about. For the people of Judah at the time Isaiah is writing... ...if they wanted their sacrifices, their offerings, their prayers... ...and Sabbaths and religious festivals to mean anything... They needed to change and repent and return to God and to offer more than just empty ritual. They needed to hear and remember that the Lord, their God, the Lord was one. They needed to love the Lord with all their heart and soul and strength. So where had they gone wrong? How did God need the people of Judah to amend their ways? Well, God spells it out and it's pretty straightforward. He says, Your hands are full of blood. Wash and make yourselves clean. Take your evil deeds out of my sight. Stop doing wrong. Learn to do right. Seek justice. Encourage the oppressed. Defend the cause of the fatherless. Plead the case of the widow. The call on their lives... Was the same as the call on our lives today. Their job was to care about the things that God cares about, and then to be to act as His hands and feet going about doing God's work. Well what does God care about? He cares about his creation. He cares about people. In particular, he cares about the oppressed people of the world. He cares about the poor and the marginalized. and he cares that they are treated fairly and generously. The people of Judah had failed to care for the, the widows and the orphans who were the most vulnerable people in, in the ancient Near East, Near East at that time, a deeply patriarchal society. In, in those days, even more than today, uh, those were people who were at risk. And God's call on his people's lives as individuals, yes, but also as a community was to protect these hurting and vulnerable people to care for and to love them as representatives of the God who cares for hurting and vulnerable people. And so for us, how do, how, how do we make it so that our singing and our sermons and the rest of what we do actually mean something? It, it means that we will learn what it is that God cares about and do what we can to be his hands and feet in the world doing his will. It means that so far as we are able, we are to bless the world. It means working toward the inbreaking of the kingdom of God, so as so as to make to make manifest to all within our sphere of influence that the kingdom of God is indeed at hand. It means doing good as a church community, we're 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 doing our best to 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 work this into reality. You know, first of all, we we do try to provide uh, community support, encouragement, teaching um, for those who are trying to live out their faith in Jesus. I mean, that's what we're trying to do right now. But beyond that, we want to be a community also that serves their community. In addition to, um, you know, in addition to supporting. Um, other ministries to the marginalized and vulnerable such as you know journey home pregnancy concerns and such we also try to serve the poor in our community through through our church's food cupboard and and through our work with things like the wet weather mat program i mean that's why we're we're doing this clothing giveaway thing in the fall that we're going to be doing that's why we that's why we partner with with lori allward and and company at hungry for life um to you know for, for, with their work in serving uh, people overseas and, and building communities overseas in Canada, Kenya, as we've been doing. And that's why when it came to trying to find a way to celebrate our 20th anniversary, we could think of no better way than to take an additional offering and use the funds to, to just bless and love our neighborhood. We're always on the lookout for, for new ways to do this kind of thing well and to live out well what it means to be the covenant people of God. We as a community want to be a a people of true worship, so that when we sing of our love for God, we're doing so with truth and with integrity. But also as individuals too, we, we need to be working this into reality. I need to be finding ways that I can work this into reality in my own life. I need to be a person who, who blesses the world around me, even as Jesus would, to be his hands and feet. So, so I need to ask myself, we need to ask ourselves, You know, how, how can we be more, more humble and, and generous and teachable? How, how can we act in, and, and speak in ways that demonstrate that demonstrates solidarity with the poorest and most vulnerable, with those whom our culture deems unimportant and disposable, those those whom our society has taught to view themselves as as peripheral and unworthy of love. Can we we rethink the way that that we as individuals use our time and resources? Can Can we watch for opportunities to give... You know, timely hugs and words of encouragement? Can we just walk across the street or, or across the room and just say hi or engage somebody in our schools or workplaces or, or, or neighborhoods who, who seems to be lonely? How can I, if I have been praying this morning and singing about how Jesus is Lord this morning... How can I live in such a way as to not belie that statement? How can I be his ambassador in my sphere of influence? Be his hands and feet to bless those around me. How can I live for Jesus, demonstrating his love for those around me, as is only befitting for a member of the new covenant community of God? How can I do good? In fact, why don't we just take a moment right now um, before we go on, and, and, and I'm just going to give you a couple of moments in quiet to just think about how maybe this week even, maybe big ways, maybe small ways, how can we live in such a way as to bless our community, as, to do, as such a way as to do good, in such a way as to to... Declare through our actions the inbreaking of the kingdom of God. Let's just take a moment. I'll, I'll give you a, a minute of quiet just to think about that. God, through the prophet, goes on. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they will be like wool. If you are willing and obedient, you will eat the best from the land. But if you resist and rebel, you will be devoured by the sword. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Even after that indictment of the hypocrisy of the people of Judah, God, in, in his mercy to a people beaten down, offers healing. He reminds them of the covenant they have made, and, 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 and both the promised blessing for adherence to the covenant, and the folly of pursuing, persisting in their, their, their breaking of the covenant. So brothers and sisters gathered here today, I've got good news for you. If you've been doing these kinds of good things that we've been talking about, then then great. You are reflecting the face of God to a world that deeply needs his grace. And, And if you haven't, I have good news for you too. Come, let us reason together, says the Lord. God's word assures us that there is forgiveness for sin, There is forgiveness for us, even as there was forgiveness for the people of Judah. And that we don't have to go through life permanently soiled with the, hypocr- with the hypocrisy of, of, of sins, of scarlet. We are assured that if we repent and turn to him, Christ forgives and removes even the most indelible of our stains. Did you ever hear how Mother's Day got started? Um, The modern American holiday of Mother's Day was first celebrated in 1908 when a person by the name of Anna Jarvis held a memorial for her mother in in Grafton, West Virginia. Um, And and her campaign to make Mother's Day a recognized holiday in the United States began in 1905 the year that, that her beloved mother, Anne Ann Rees Jarvis, um, Anna uh, died. And, and, and Anna, the daughter, her mission was to honor her own mother by continuing the work she started and to set aside a day to honor mothers. Um, Anna's mother, Ann Jarvis, had been a peace activist who had cared for wounded soldiers on both sides of the Civil War um, and, and eventually this, this caught on, and it became a naturally recognized day as, as Anne pursued and continued the work of her mother, whom she sought to honor through this day. But although Jarvis was successful in sort of founding Mother's Day, as it, as it caught on, she soon became very resentful of the commercialization and was angry that companies would profit from the holiday. Uh, by the early 1920s, hallmark and, and other companies were, were, were already selling mother 's Day greeting cards and, 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 and all sorts of companies began to to profit by all of this and and Jarvis became so embittered by what she saw as a as a misinterpretation and, and an exploitation that she she actually protested and tried to have mother 's Day rescinded um, <laughs> She, she organized boycotts, and she threatened legal action and, uh, to try to stop this commercialization. She actually, It actually says that, that she crashed a candy makers convention in Philadelphia in 1923. And, and two years later, she was protesting at a, at a gathering of merchants who were trying to figure out how to sell more carnations for Mother's Day, which was the the flower that had been associated with Mother's Day, and actually got arrested for disturbing the the peace. But what it came down to was that she got so frustrated that what she had worked so hard toward, what she had intended to become a meaningful celebration of a lifelong devotion to her mother and to motherhood in general, had degenerated into a kind of commercialized tokenism. And she wished she had never started it. Now, I'm not, I'm not suggesting that we do away with Mother's Day. I'm getting dirty looks from some of the moms here. No, Mother's Day is great. Uh, enjoy your day, moms, and everything that goes with it. You know, wear those macaroni necklaces with pride. And, and, and it's great. I, I'm just encouraging the rest of us to make sure that these gestures are merely symbols of a a deeper daily reality where we are picking up telephones and picking up our underwear off the floor and and showing love through our words and our actions on a regular basis. And more significantly, I'm suggesting that, I'm not suggesting, rather, that we stop with our singing and praying and our studying of God's word and our other acts of corporate worship. No, I'm merely challenging us to make sure that these acts of worship are mere reflections of a deeper, daily, more pervasive worship life of acting justly, of loving our community, of serving the poor, and of doing good. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.